0: Welcome to the Pixels and in Ink podcast. This is the show where we bring you the best tips, tactics, and strategies for using multi-channel marketing to dramatically boost your leads and sales. From the top sales and marketing minds across agencies, print service providers, and enterprise marketers, you'll hear what's working and not working, so you can be on the cutting edge without having to empty your wallet in the process. All right, here are your hosts, Mackenzie Farshid and Dave Rosendahl.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Dave Rosendahl, and I'm joined as always by Mackenzie Farshid.
0: Hi, Line Fire Nation.
1: So if you've been listening along, you know that we're in a series about connecting offline media with the web through the use of personalized URLs. And this is, what, our sixth or seventh in the series? Mm -hmm. We've received a lot of questions and a lot of feedback. We probably have, what, 40 or 50 questions, and uh, today... We're really excited to dig into the top uh, questions that we received. So McKinsey has done a fantastic job calling through all of your questions and putting them into different groups. And we've invited uh, two special guests to be on the show today. One is Joe Manos, who many of you know A lot of experience in technology, in print, and in marketing. He's been on the show uh, once Mm -hmm. or twice before, and we're also joined by Kim Gross from Paysetters. She's been in the industry for quite some time, I want to say a little over 10 years. Yeah, I think 11. 11 years, Mm -hmm. okay, and has had a lot of experience not only in her firm where they uh, provide marketing services, um, but also um, helping numerous customers in a variety of different verticals. So both Kim and Joe bring some unique perspectives that you do not want to miss around how you can really capitalize on the changes that are taking place in the marketing landscape, and specifically, we're entering that discussion through the vantage of the personalized URL.
0: Yeah, and whether you are a B2B marketer or a B2C marketer or a service provider, there's tons of valuable information here. So luckily, we have a few different uh, guests, as Dave said, and everyone gave their insight on, you know, if they're a B2B, do this, or if B2C, you know, I think this is great, or if you're a service provider. So no matter who you are and what you're trying to do, make sure to tune in.
1: Yes. So let's go hang out with Joe and Kim.
0: Hi, Kim. Hi, Joe. How are you guys doing today? Hello. I am good. It's
2: good to be here. Doing awesome. Thanks for inviting us.
0: So listeners, as you know, this episode is a QA and a episode and we have some experts here to help with the answers. And as I started to collect some questions and the most common ones, I noticed someone, one of our friends here, Rochelle, said that she doesn't know how to use pearls in her direct mail campaigns. And so I thought that in order to kick this off, it might be helpful to give a brief overview of pearls and how they work with outbound Marketing Collateral. So uh, who wants to take this? take a stab at this? Um, I think it's a really good question. I know when I
3: first started, gosh, it's already almost 11 years, but when I first started, I was really confused by the whole Pearl technology and how it worked, and one of the ways that I found to really integrate into our direct mail campaigns is it's really just what I call it a personalized microsite, so a way to get your target audience engaged with your company or your offer or your organization or whatever it is you're trying to promote. And collect data on them. So, you know, it's there's a call to action, there's an offer, there's a reason they're going to go there. So, an incentive, whether it's a tangible item that they'll receive by going there, or information they'll receive, or whatever the case may be, um, something really strong and compelling to get them to visit that my first site. And once there, you can do just a ton of of data capturing, whether it's specific questions that you're asking them, trying to collect data that way, or even just looking at what they're clicking on. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but we've done both. And so you can ask direct questions to gather data, or you can just watch what they're clicking on and draw some conclusions that way and use that
0: as a lead gen tool. Awesome, Joe. What about you? I know you have some insight to give.
2: Yeah, I would just uh, add a, a quick sales tip that you know many of our most <clears throat> successful customers you know, will typically say, you know, I can... I could do just a traditional direct mail program or I could add significant value to your direct mail by adding the personalized URL and by adding the personalized URL we're going to be able to drive the level of engagement gather more critical marketing intelligence and drive outcomes uh, at a level that the direct mail piece alone won't be able to do and then just you know build Uh, the program around what their key objectives are. So, again, a little selling tip there that's been real helpful for our best customers. One tie-down point that um, Kim kind of tied to, but obviously those programs where there's, you know, key downloadable content, I believe the results, the overall results, uh, you know, are typically better. And, uh, you know, I I think you get a a heightened level of engagement getting people to the site as well. So that might be a, a tip as well.
1: One thing that Uh I would add, Mackenzie, is that in the last episode, we actually went through the three common use cases for Mm Pearls and how they tie to a series of different types of landing pages and microsite experiences on the web. So for other listeners who are like Rochelle wondering how you can use these and how people actually put them into play, go back and check out our previous episode.
0: Going, you know, into the actual meat of this episode, uh, the first topic that we get a lot of questions about relates to the actual content and the creative and the messaging. And so as I look through the questions, it looks like it broke down into two different parts. And the first part is tapping into the content and the creative and the messaging that actually is on the direct mail or the email piece to drive people to their personalized URL. Okay. And then the second is once they're on that landing page, once they're on that microsite, as Kim says, what kind of content and messaging and creative are you going to use to actually convert those people once they're there? So let's start off with um, the content and the and the piece, the actual direct mail piece or email. It says itself. And so Ken asked, "How do you come up with an engaging proposition as to why the prospect should feel compelled to actually go to that pearl?"
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So let me uh, try that one first. So I, I'm always amazed by this question, and I guess we shouldn't be having <laughs> done this for so long, but um, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's the same as any other call to action. You just happen to be driving them online. So how are you going to get them to pick up the phone? How are you going to get them to walk into the dealership if you're, uh, you know, doing an auto uh, campaign? How are you going to get them to interact with you? There's really no difference with respect to how you get them to do that. Uh, from, from that perspective, it's a call to action like any other call to action, and the mechanism by which people are responding happens to be this URL, mm-hmm. this personalized URL, but at, at the heart of it, it's, it's, it's the same idea. Now, there are certainly some nuances that come into play, but I'm always, I'm always intrigued by that question. Joe, I know that you and I have talked a lot about this. What's your perspective on, on that question?
2: Less is more. Highly personalized. I'm looking at a direct mail piece right now with a pearl on it, and at the top it says John. We made it for you, exclamation mark, visit your personalized site to learn more. I mean, can it be said any better than that? And, uh, so highly personalized, simple, very clear call to action. And if it's all about the prospect, they'll take it. And
1: Joe, from your perspective, when someone asks that question, is that Ken or Kes that asked the question? Kes. Kess, I okay. Say Ken? Yeah, Ken. Oh, okay. Oops. Hey, hey, Kess. Sorry about that. So, Joe, when when somebody like Kess asks that question, from your perspective, w- what is the the real issue there? So, when somebody is asking, you know, how do I get them to go to their pearl? Is that the actual question, or is there something deeper than that?
2: I think it's deeper than that. Uh, obviously, we live and breathe it twenty four seven, so it's second nature to us. But for the folks who are just new to it it's you know they're not really thinking in terms of why I need that person to go to the site the personalized site I like to tell marketers when I'm guest speaking or visiting with them is that's where the real marketing takes place is when you get them to their personalized site so it's really important that if it's a direct mail piece that we make it compelling to go to that personalized site because there's something of value there and we touched on that earlier That may be some downloadable content, a coupon, a special offer, an opportunity to learn more. So think of the vehicle online as where the real marketing is taking place but the direct mail piece is that conduit to drive them there or the email. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And McKinsey, I'm looking at you for this question here. I wonder if the person asking this was a printer as opposed to a marketer within an organization trying to drive demand or generate leads. And the reason why I ask that is because, and Kim, maybe you can kind of add some color to this. Historically, what we have seen or what I think that we've seen is that printers who are accustomed to creating the output, the print pieces themselves, and not actually being involved in the strategy behind those marketing campaigns Mm -hmm. will often ask this kind of question, right? Um, When they're accustomed to just producing the output, which is uh, in many cases, just the the print itself. Kim, what do you think about that theory? Do you agree or or disagree?
3: I completely agree with that. Um, So uh, for those of you who know me, you know that my background is far from print. I work for you know my my parents company and we do print but I had no background in it and so when I started working on these campaigns it was okay why is somebody going to want to take action whereas you know I think the, the printing world typically they're not used to okay what kind of content do we need what sort of creative do we need everything that comes over is print ready or the files are ready and they have to be converted to whatever output file is needed for their printer or their press and so it's really just taking a step back and trying to put yourself in the customer's shoes and thinking, okay, why would I Why would I take that next step? And does the piece speak to that? And a lot of things that I see with, with companies that I'm working with is it's cluttered. Um, you know, there's no real clear call to action. There are things that are competing with each other. Um, you know, the, the pearl may be on there and super small and in a corner. And isn't, you know, when you, when you look at that piece the first five seconds, you're not sure what you're supposed to do. So, you know, I think it's too bold. I think it's taking a step back and trying to figure out, okay, strategically, what is my customer trying to do? And who are they going after? And what would they respond to? And depending on the company or the vertical, it's, it's going to shift. And then once you identify that, how do you lay out the piece so that it's simple, as Joe said, it's simple, it's clear, it's concise. Within three to five seconds of looking at that thing, they know exactly what they need to do.
0: So, Kim, is that typically something that you employ, this, this idea of looking at a direct mail piece and within three to five seconds knowing where you're going to click or what you're supposed to do and what call to action is there? Is that something that you, that you typically judge the, the, how good a direct mail piece is? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I tell my clients all the time, I mean, so
3: it's, it's one of two things. If it's something going to a consumer, to their personal address, they're typically shifting, shifting through that direct mail, all those direct mail pieces as they're coming back from the mailbox. So within a matter of seconds, they have their garbage pile in the pile that they're going to look at. Um, if it's something that's going to a place of employment, you know, there's a stack of mail on your desk any given day. And so you're quickly just going through it saying, yes, I'm going to look at that. No, I'm not. So you really have to grab their attention within those first few seconds or, you know, and not all the time, but, but more than likely it's going to end up in the trash.
0: Interesting. So listeners, and Kes specifically, if you're creating these direct mail pieces or one of your customers, if you happen to be a service provider, is opening the mail or putting a stack of mail and sift through it and then see within that first few seconds that you see it, is there something compelling there?
1: You know, one more thing I'm thinking about here, Mackenzie, I'm contradicting myself now when I said that KESS might be a printer because I was talking to one of our um, team members earlier today and she was working with a college, if I recall correctly, and the, the, the marketing director there was saying that uh, they've used pearls in the past, but the results have not been good. Mm. And so our team member dug into that a little bit further and said, well, OK, how many responses did you get? And, and the marketing director said, well, the response was fantastic uh, to the landing page and the microsite. We just didn't get much out of it from that point. And so the issue there wasn't one of the direct mail driving people to the microsite, that was working. The issue was then their sales process, if you will, converting those leads into, in this particular case, students. And the example that our team member gave was, well, if you did the same thing and your phone rang right, at your call center or whatever, and the people there picking up the phone couldn't convert those into students or take them to the next step, you wouldn't say, oh my gosh, AT&T, you guys suck. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with the phone system, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's not the phone's problem. It's not the phone. It's not the pearl. It's what's happening outside of that. So I know I've given that example before on other episodes here, but folks, if you have if if you're thinking about this and wondering, um, you know, sometimes you give too much credit to the pearl. And sometimes I think we don't give enough credit to the pearl. But in in most cases, people are looking at that as kind of the magic answer to, okay, if I just put that on my direct mail piece, now all of a sudden I'm going to get all this, uh, you know, magical response. And that's not necessarily the case.
0: Interesting, you know, we had someone named Chaz who says, this directly speaks to what you just said, he said that he feels like, even with a well thought out and designed campaign, they get wildly different results. Hmm. Even if it's the same, uh, similar target audience and workflows. And I think that's exactly what you said, right? You have to, we've talked about this before, you can't just slap a pearl on a piece and think, oh, this is gonna be the magic piece that's gonna get all those responses, you know? So you have to, like Joe and and Kim said, you have to have a clear call to action, it has to be concise. You have to know who you're talking to and then one, I really like is that personalization I know that I always look at things if they say my name more than if it's just you know just a a random person person on there
1: and and did Chaz say what he meant by wildly different results do you recall if it was responses to the microsite or landing page versus you know converted uh, leads into sales
0: I think he's talking about the landing pages. Getting responses, uh, yeah, there. getting responses, okay. yeah. Because then he also said that he was interested in talking about uh, coming up with a great message and offer that isn't expensive to drive more leads and or purchases. And maybe this, we should go back to to Joe. He touched on um, giving them a content piece of value on there. So Joe, that's obviously not expensive. You know, providing some some educational resource. Why don't you expand about how you've seen people using that and, and how it's helpful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I believe there's studies out even that say that executives place a high premium on learning about the different methodologies to improve results of their organization. So what better way if you're running a program for a B2B than to provide high value content that shows them how to improve their business processes or results as a result of your product or service. So we always work with clients both through education and development of delivering high value content, not just once a month, but regularly. I mean, look at ourselves. We're doing it three, four, five times a week. So when you're doing that, guess what? That prospect all of a sudden is visiting these sites because, oh, there's another piece of content that I can learn from. Let me click on that. They may not be ready to buy today, but each subsequent read, they're deepening their understanding and awareness of you as the leading provider. So when your sales rep calls, guess what? They're more apt to take that call and have a conversation.
1: So McKenzie, I'm thinking about what Chaz said here, even with a well thought out and designed campaign, he gets wildly different results, right? So mm-hmm. maybe one thing is what is the offer? Uh, is the offer changing? Like Joe said, maybe, you know, in one case it could be high value content. Maybe the offer is changing um, from, from campaign to campaign. But I'm wondering from your view, Kim, as a practitioner of this kind of campaign, do you ever experience that where, as Chad is saying uh, with a similar target audience and a similar workflow the results are dramatically different has that happened to you or any of your customers
3: yeah it absolutely have and one of the things that I look at when that happens is what's going on what's going on around it so you know as as we, we talked about a few moments ago a pearl isn't going to be a magic bullet that's going to solve everybody's marketing problems. it would be fantastic if it was but it's not And so, you know, I recently read that it takes 10 to 12 touches for a prospect to convert. Now, again, those are averages, so sometimes it takes less, sometimes it takes more. But I look at whether it's a university or a corporation, what other tactics are going on around that? Um, How many pieces are they sending out? What are the other, you know, are they doing, what's their email like? What sort of social media marketing are they doing? Um, You know, what are they doing with the people that are going to their landing page? And what does that process look like? What sort of information are they providing? So there's a lot more that goes into it than Mm. just I'm gonna send a direct mail with a pearl they're gonna go to a landing page that's fantastic and that's definitely already increasing the the knowledge that you have on the prospect but it's the big picture so there's a lot of other pieces that go into into the success of
1: a campaign So, so true
0: I have a question uh, following up to that, Kim. So when you're doing a direct mail campaign, let's say, do you find that it's more helpful or you get a higher response if you create some brand awareness before that? Do you typically drop the direct mail piece first and then you have some follow-up calls and follow-up direct mail pieces in social media? Or do you suggest having social media going on first so that they have that awareness before the direct mail piece goes? Or maybe an email saying, hey, check your mail. Are there any other ways that you get them to notice that direct mail piece? Absolutely. One of the best practices that, that we developed,
3: and you know, we, we developed it a couple years ago through trial and error, and, and to this day it still rings true, and it's something that we do with almost every campaign, is if we have an email list, there's always an email that goes out a day or two before the direct mail piece is going to be landing in their mailbox. And that's really just a great awareness. Um, we also work with organizations to get their social media strategy in place, so that you know there's a good four to six weeks of some solid social media content going on prior to any sort of direct mm-hmm. mail hitting the mailbox, and that's mainly from a perspective that you know direct mail is costly. It's, it's still effective, but it's costly, and so let's you know take a step back and instead of going into something with without having all of our ducks in a row. Let's make sure there are social strategies in place. Let's get some electronic communication out there so that when we send that direct mail piece, they're more apt to do something with that. You know, now that being said, if it's a cold list or if it, you know, if if the company organization hasn't done a ton of marketing, I always make it very clear that one direct mail piece is typically not enough to get, you know, the results that the customer is looking for. Um, You know, you'll get a high percentage of people going to the microsite, but you may not get right off the bat a high percentage of people converting. Um, And that's where, you know, all of the different retargeting capabilities with social media come into play and your constant, you know, electronic communication and sending subsequent direct mail pieces um, with varying messaging depending on what they do within that microsite.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the things that I often hear when I ask people about their direct Marketing, if they've used pearls and say, Yeah, I, I used that once and it didn't work. And yeah. I say, Well, do you mean that exactly. you used it at one point in time for a number of campaigns? No, I used it once, literally once, and it didn't <laughs> I showed up okay. to the gym once. Yeah, and what I didn't happened? lose 30 pounds. <laughs> really? You didn't? <laughs> yeah, I'm always amazed by that. So, folks, um, I hope you don't take that the wrong way, but this is not something that you do once and then expect a magical return. It's like anything else. You got to work at it.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so now that we've, we've have some strategies about how to get them to the landing page, let's segue and start talking about how we actually convert people once they're on the landing pages. Awesome. So George says my issue is content on the landing page that works. Let's say someone gets a direct mail piece that truly calls their interest and they actually decide to go to the Pearl. How do we ensure that the content on the landing page is good? So maybe we can talk about some best practices about creating that continuity between the direct mail piece or the email and the landing pages. Um, Kim, since you were just talking about, you know, converting people, what do you think? Are there any tips that you have for um, providing, you know, details on the landing page that's going to get people excited? Absolutely. So, the first thing is, as, as we had mentioned before, to keep it short and sweet. Um, you
3: know, a, a call-out box with some messaging, a call-out image. If you're going to be asking direct questions, keeping it to three to five tops. You don't want them to be having to fill out, a, you know, a 10 to 20 question survey. And that's something that I see a lot of other service providers, you know, once people, once they get people there, they want to ask them everything under the sun. And it just turns people off. So, um, you know, the other best practice that I found personally with with my work is the less clicking they have to do, the better. So, you know, whereas you used to have you know multiple pages that you could you could take them through, um, I found it to be more effective to have one page, simple, you know, image, call to action of what they need to do. If you're going to be asking questions, keep it to a minimum. You know, let them hit it, submit it, thank you page. Thank you, confirmation email comes through um, you know, and, and that's worked well. If you aren't going to be asking direct questions, and, and I'll be honest, I, I anymore don't do a lot of the direct questions. I'm doing a lot more of putting links to either white papers or pages within their website or other maybe microsites that we've developed so that I can track where they're clicking where there's information and there's content. So I'm not directly asking them for the information, but I'm able to look based on what what their quick activity is, what they may be interested in. All of that's tracked. And then that either goes to a sales rep to make an outbound call or it it goes into a subsequent campaign or whatever the case may be.
0: Interesting. Joe, can you think about, you know, in all the the different landing pages you've seen, one that particularly sticks out in your mind is like, oh, that was a great landing page. And I remember, you know, it it got great results.
2: Yeah, there's a couple that, you know, that come to mind. I I think, again, um, it depends on is it B to C or B 2 B, and what the clear objective is? Because you know the the landing page is going to be a reflection of the most important deliverables based on that. But uh, I think it. I'm going to give you one example where video, uh, just you know, really, I just think about it, and I get goosebumps. But it was for uh, you know, like a West Point type academy for you know high school, and they were appealing to their alumni, and you know it had the the drum beat, you know, the cadence of the military and then it talked about, you know, uh, I forget what the three words were but, you know, it's been like years now. But, you know, it was very impactful and it built in a very short period. It was like 20 seconds. And then the call to action was, we need you now more than ever. Do your part. Mm -hmm. Donate now. And I I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. So video on some of these, depending on, you know, if it's an appeal or even if it's a, a product or service, it makes it, you know, much more dramatic and, again, really resonates with the target audience. Yes, it costs a little bit more, but I've seen some exceptional uh, results from those types of, of programs.
3: I was going to say video is, is just a phenomenal way to, to boost conversion.
2: We do, as I said, we
3: do a ton of video, and it just, it just gets much more traction and much more conversion.
2: I knew you'd jump on that point, Kim.
1: So one thing I would add here for George McKenzie is that, and I can, Kim mentioned this, is that you, know, you can use social media retargeting and such to kind of support your efforts here, George. So let's say you do drive them to the landing page, but you don't convert them there on that first visit. That is not uncommon. And George, you can use things like social media retargeting and the like it, to follow that person around the web and get them to convert at a time that's better for them. So that would be one thing that I would I would encourage you to look at, George, and we've got episodes on that as well. The other thing that I kind of sense here is that um, it's almost like, I, I think George is saying, how do we ensure the content on the landing page is good? Right, that was mm-hmm. one of his, his, his questions. And I would almost say, don't worry about it too, too much if you're looking at this uh, with the long view. So you're going to try something, you're going to do campaign touch one, and you're going to see how that works. It may not work. Or on the other hand, it may work better than you thought. But if you look at it from, if you take the long view, each of those touches is an opportunity to learn more about how to motivate this particular group of people through the process. So Uh, George, that would be my my counsel to you. Just think about it from those two perspectives. One, use retargeting so that you always have a chance to go out and interact with them later. And second, if you're taking the long view here, uh, you know what, if it doesn't work the first time, that's fine. You'll learn uh, from that and then apply it to the second.
0: Yeah, that's a great po- point, Dave. I know that he, with our marketing, a lot of times, myself, I'll think, oh yeah, that's going to work. And then we'll look at the results oh, and yeah, the complete yeah, opposite. Yeah, it sucks, of what we... right?
1: And then we make horrible mistakes. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, that rocked. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it just, somehow it just happens like that. And but we're not
1: joking, folks. Yeah, I mean, this literally happens.
0: I mean, last week, I'm thinking of an example where I was sure that something was going to work. Yeah. Once we actually went back and looked at the results, it was the exact same, You know, the exact opposite right, of that. So right. I really like that point that you bring up. It's, it, it, you know, each different touch is just one of a larger goal. Mm-hmm. And so you can utilize that hey, to, to, yes.
2: Hey, I just thought of another uh, great use case for landing page too that I wanted to add for B to C folks on the line. And this was a retailer and they gave you an alternative choice on the landing page. You can have $50 now during our three-day sale or $25 anytime you want in the future. Mm. Now, so they gave you an alternate choice and in addition – they asked two or three very brief survey questions, but one of them was a large purchase, like a kitchen remodel. And they asked the question, and based on the data points from the landing page and the Power of Pearls, uh, 67% of the people took advantage of the uh, show special for the three-day you know sale they had, 67%. Wow. Yet, the pers- people who did not got the bigger amount for any time they wanted, Uh, still had exceptional results, but they were able to purchase and convert six to 12 months downstream with large purchases uh, as a result of the program. So the program not only had the short-term three-day sale result, then longer term, $50 anytime you want, and then the big ticket items. So three levels of conversion from one program. Great B2C use case.
0: Yeah, I think you know, for myself, when I'm on landing pages or when I get marketing collateral, I now try to dissect, huh, what what did I do? You know, why did I actually go on there? But I think everything that you guys touched on is is really key. I like when things are personalized to me. I know in one of the previous episodes we talked about um, how you can do a handoff, right? And so that when I let's say I click on my direct mail piece and I go to the landing page or I enter some code, it knows it's me, and so it has my updated information there, my shopping cart or things that you already know on there about me. And I think that's something that allows people or ensures people that the landing page is quote-unquote good. I don't know, you know, good can mean, you know, so many different definitions, but for me, it's making the experience of the user as easy as possible to convert. Kim just said an awesome, what did she say? Hit and submit. I like that. Um, Hit
1: it and submit it.
0: Hit it and submit it, but making it easy. You know, I think that it, it all has to do with the ease of use and the personalization and, you know, having someone want to claim their offer. Next, we have Jennifer, and this is—I I really like her honesty with this one because I feel like a lot of people experience this. And she says, "We seem to be in a bit of a rut, suggesting the same questions over and over again to our cut que- uh, to our customers." So I think that Jennifer is a service provider, and she's suggesting different questions to have on the survey page mm, and, on the landing page itself mm-hmm, on okay. the actual landing page. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. You said, Kim, a few, few seconds ago, you want, to, you want to do them short, maybe three to five questions. Do you have any suggestions about what types of questions? Even maybe are they a drop-down list? Are they, you know, free form? Do you have any suggestions for Jennifer? Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we were in a similar situation. We, we worked with a lot of
3: colleges and universities. And, you know, when we were working with schools for a variety of years, it felt like we were running out of things to ask them. Um, and so we kind of had to circle back a little bit and say, okay, you know, here's where, and I, I work a lot on the fundraising side, and it was like, okay, so here's where our participation is, here's how much we've grown it, and here are the different segments that we haven't been able to to convert. And so we started to ask, we started to do some reverse engineering. So why haven't you made a gift? You know, what about? you know, what X, Y, and Z university, what about what we're doing isn't resonating with you. Um, you know, and, and we kind of took a different spin on it just to get some different feedback because the people who were responding were responding, the questions were very similar. Um, and that's also where we all, we introduced utilizing clicks. So putting up a variety of content and tracking the clicks and not just necessarily relying on the questions. So, you know, we worked it two different ways different types of questions, kind of reversing the mindset um, after we had worked with the client for a couple years, and we felt like we converted those that we were going to convert, but there was still this big audience that wasn't responding, and so we went about it a little bit differently and did see a a huge lift in, in response rate and conversion. And... We also started to see more people clicking around on the landing pages when we stopped asking direct questions after they had been a client of ours for a while um, because I think it was a little more subliminal. They, you know, didn't have to provide any information. They just simply had to go there and see what was new or see different campaigns that were launching, et cetera. So those were two ways. I mean, three or four years ago, we were in a very similar situation, and, and we were just stuck, and that's, those were some of the tactics we used to, to get around that.
1: Yeah, so Mackenzie, you're looking at me uh, to add something brilliant here, I'm sure, but I don't have much. Um, the the one thing that I that I think of when I see Jennifer's uh, statement here is uh, I'd love to know from her what the problem is with the feeling that she has of being stuck in a rut. You know, is it that they that she thinks that they should have different qu- qualifying questions on the landing page? Mm-hmm. Are those qualifying questions not working anymore the way they used to? That's one of the things that we hear, and I think you've got a couple of questions coming up here where people are saying, what I used to do doesn't work anymore, right? Mm -hmm. The things I used to find success in just don't seem to work the same way anymore. So I'd be curious, Jennifer, if you're listening, leave us a comment on our blog or email us or something get get a hold of us and i just love to know a little bit more about why that's a problem for you in other words why do you think that you need to ask different questions i'm, I'm just uh, intellectually curious to know more
0: yeah and john then a follow-up to that says that he no longer gets responses you know mm. years ago mm-hmm. he'd get 10 to 30 percent response rates and now he's not getting responses and customers don't think it's worth the investment when they're not getting the leads okay. um, and so obviously if they're not getting the leads they don't want to invest the money for additional campaigns and so So what pieces of advice can we give John here to help him um, find new creative ways to start to get leads for his customers and get responses?
2: Oh, that's a big question. Yeah, it is. (laughs)
1: Joe, you want to tackle that?
2: (laughs) Well, I, I mean, you know, if you're not getting the results, there's typically four to five reasons why, you know. It could be the database. It could be the creative. It could be the messaging. I mean, I could go on for hours talking about each of those. But if he's saying that, you know, he was getting 10 to 30 percent response rates, he's no law, hes not able to to get people landing landing page to respond and convert. Then you you got a messaging uh, issue. You know, that I mean my, my first bucket I'd want to dive into. I'd also want to look at the list too. Maybe you know, if we're selling high value services and the list has people that can't afford $500, well, you got a list issue, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then. Then the subject line. You know, the subject line may not get in there to the landing page. And then once we get them the landing page, it's all about them. You know, what's in it for them? Why do they want to be engaged there? So you've got to be really good about communicating the value that you're going to offer them to stay engaged at that landing page and take the call to action. And uh, if you're providing something of value, you know, most businesses are trying to improve. Their revenue acquisition and things of that nature. So if your product service revolves around that, then we give them a landing page. We should be showing them ways that, by moving forward uh, at the landing page stage, that we're going to give you something of value that helps your business. And ultimately, if you're doing that, if they, if you're providing something of value to your prospects, they will engage with you. They will turn into leads. That would be my coaching tip. Yeah,
1: I don't think this is necessarily just an issue of pearls here for John. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I read his question, literally, I'm going to read it. What you have here on the screen. I no longer get responses years ago. I could get 10 to 30% response rates. Customers don't think it's worth the investment when they don't get leads. Thus, they don't want to invest the money for additional campaigns. So I'm not sure that that's just about pearls. Um, you know, I, I yeah. think that's really, John, that's on that's on you and, and your team, I think, right? I mean, in terms of what you're creating and, and how you're generating demand for your customers, as you said, Joe, I, there's there's something there, but it's hard to discern what it is from, from these few lines here.
0: Yeah, but you know, the good thing about using personalized URLs mm-hmm. is that you can see where the breakdown is, right? Okay, sure. You can yeah. see, for example, is it the open rate on the email? Is it the response rate? People, you know, how many people are actually getting to the landing page? You that's know, if, true. If no one's actually getting to the landing page, then you know you have an issue with the outbound marketing touch that's pushing them before there, you know? that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a direct mail piece. Maybe it's email. Or you see, ugh, I have so many people getting to the landing page, but no one's pur- purchasing or no one's hitting submit. Then yep. you, then you know, okay, the issue is on the landing page, and there's a number of tools out there, such as Hotjar, we talked about in previous episodes, and ways that you can see, okay how are people interacting with my landing page where's the disconnect why aren't they clicking yeah. and then if you see you know let's say they, hit, oh a lot of people cl- uh, click on the email and they go to their Perl they hit the submit button but then people aren't being sold well then maybe that's a sales issue and people aren't following up quick enough or maybe you know it, it, the cool thing about using personalized URLs in, in microsites is that you can actually track all of this and so
1: I guess if we use that lens to look at John's question then it's, it's before the landing page right he's so it's got to be something like you said, Joe, it's in the it's in the messaging, it's in the offer, it's in the list, uh, the creative, something there has changed. Or John, something is different on your side or in the market, I guess.
0: Yeah. So whatever it is, I suggest all the listeners, if you're having an issue where you were getting results or you're wanting to get results, when you're doing this testing, check each component with, you know, with fine-tooth comb. Where, is the, where are you getting successes and where are there areas for growth? And then how can you optimize them? Mm-hmm. And then utilize all the tools that are out there. You know, Call different people, ask them what they're doing, or, or use the different um, technologies to see how people are actually interacting with your campaigns. I think
1: one more thing here that I see here in, in John's question is this is actually very true. I mean, even for us at MindFire, right? I mean, consumer patterns change, the way people get their information, the way people consume their information has changed. And if you don't stay ahead of that, or at least in step with that, mm-hmm. you do start to see these things where it's like, shoot, I used to do this and it used to work. And now all of a sudden it doesn't seem happening. to get the same results. So Kim, what do you see from from your vantage? Do you see this? Do customers ever bring this to you?
3: Yeah, you know, they do. And I, I think it really go it comes down to a few things. Number one, we're on information overload. So you think about the amount of marketing messages that you consume in any given day, and it's, mm. it's overwhelming. True. And so, you know, three years ago, you could send out a postcard with a personalized URL in it, and you'd get a pretty decent response rate. And, you know, you can still do that today, but you have to make sure that you're cutting through the clutter. So, a mediocre outbound message a couple years ago could get you that 10 to 30% response mm. rate. Today, with, you know, social and you know, mobile now and just the amount of direct mail and email, I mean, you're just inundated on a daily basis. So your strategy has to be pretty unique. And a lot of times what I find is it comes down to the list. So it's a bad list or the list isn't filtered through properly. Um, they haven't done the research on who they're going after, so the messaging isn't in sync. And, you know, they, they give up after one touch. And so I think in today's world, you know five years ago I was going through a sales class and I think it was like seven it was like seven to eight touches before you could get in front of a prospect it's 10 to 12 now and I think that directly relates to the amount of information that we're consuming you just have to be consistent and be innovative and figure out who you're going after and come up with a really compelling way to stand out from the other the other pieces that are showing up in their mailbox or in their email inbox
2: Awesome. Can I add one little point to Kim's awesome point? Of course. And I, I tell us to our, our service providers and I tell it to marketers, the days of one and done, they're gone. They're long gone. Mm-hmm. And if you're not continuously marketing, educating, nurturing your contacts and relationships, you have no chance at success. So this is why you see a lot of the strategies and tactics we're working with customers today are about that ongoing nurturing and the right channels and the frequency. So, you know, my coaching tip to anybody on this call, if you're working with customers and you're selling Pearl programs one and done, you know, that's not the approach that's going to generate the long-term success. Marketing is about continuous improvement.
0: Interesting. I love that. Great, great insight. And I think that our listeners, um, I think that you guys have a lot. You know, guys and gals have a lot to think about, and, and you know, go look at the results and see what your see where the breakdown is, and then take some of this advice and see how you can you know start to improve your campaigns. And now I think that's that's actually a really good segue into our next topic, and that's about getting buy-in from the from people, you know. So um, John had said, you know, people don't think it's worth the investment. And so I think there's two different areas of buy-in that we can tap into. Number one is getting buy-in from your own team to start to use personalized URL or personalized communication in your own marketing. And then after that, let's say you happen to be a service provider. Okay, then how can you take that and go and sell the value to your customers? So I guess we should start out um, internally. How do you get the buy-in or how do you get people to believe, you know, this is going to help our marketing? Dave, I know, I think this is a be a great place to start for you.
1: So you mean, as an organization who wants to reach their own customers or prospects, how do you convince your your own team to use yep. personalized mm-hmm. URLs? Hmm. Well, I think that we've talked about a lot of the different uh, problems that we have as marketers, right? What we used to do doesn't work. Um, one touch is no longer enough. One channel is no longer enough. I think if you are open-minded um, to the degree that you can see that those are problems. And if you can also look at a situation and say you don't know all the answers, you know, if you think you know the answer, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. But I think if you if you go into it open-minded and say, you know, I don't know what's gonna work, but let's try a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Pearls, that being a tactic, not a strategy, but one tactic that you can apply within that mix. I think that's where I would try to start. Um, but I'm interested in hearing what, what Joe and Kim have to say
3: from our internal um, our internal company so when we got into this a decade ago um, you know it was a it was a hard mind shift for for my team and you know I think the technology at that point was really new and people weren't really understanding you know why they would use it and why we should be implementing that and one of the things that we did was we we just constantly invest in our team and you know educate on you know you think about the buying behavior of yourself personally um, and it's the same for our customers and so you know especially from a sales team perspective really trying to educate them on okay this is important for us to be selling this to our customers and it's important for us to be investing in it because this is the future of marketing and if we you know as a print service provider want to be able to you know, maintain the the volume of print that we're doing and, and maintain these big accounts, we have to be growing with them and we have to be changing with them. Um, I just did um, a presentation. We celebrate our 30th year this year. And um, one of the questions we got when we were interviewed from some of the local press was, you know, how is a, a for relatively small or family-owned company, how does a small family-owned company stay in business for 30 years? And my response was, we continue to change you know, if you're not changing, you're dying and you have to keep growing. You have to keep changing. You have to keep reinventing yourself. And we started to just instill that mindset in our team that, you know, what we're doing today, you know, five years from now, we'll be doing something completely different mm-hmm. and that's okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, so I think if you can instill that mindset in your team, they start to become more open to change.
2: They're expecting it. For me, uh, this is an easy one. If you're a printer or a marketing service firm, how in God's name can you go out and try to sell pearls to your customers if you're not using them yourself? Um, one thing I hear from presidents throughout the US is it's more difficult to sell print. It's harder to get appointments to sell print. Well, what a fabulous opportunity to start to use direct mail, email with personalized URLs, engage your prospects in all the new innovative ways you can help them. And then when you're in front of them talking about a direct mail program, you can say, Well, let me show you how pearls work for us. I mean, hello. That's about as easy as it gets for opening new doors of opportunity, don't you think? Yep.
0: And do you think that there's a you know there's something to that show not tell? I don't exactly remember which ebook it was. But I think it was oh yes, it was for First National Bank. And the way that he got to actually win that account yeah. is he put them as part of a as a, a direct mail and personalized URL uh, campaign. And right. so he got the meetings with them by doing you know he showed them rather than told them. And then when he got into the meeting, they were already <laughs> sold on the idea because they're like, wait, we're actually at we've a meeting. We've experienced with, this. We've experienced yep. this. Mm-hmm. So do you the guys entire have any, management
2: team.
0: Yeah, do you have any uh, tips or tricks that you can share? I know that you've seen, you work with tons of customers. So I know this first national bank one is an example, but do you have any other, um, you know, tactics that people use to get meetings or, or to show rather than tell?
2: Well, I think well, you know, I'll go ahead and jump in first. I think, you know, when you're in front of customers, uh, I already gave you one example, which is, you know, you're the best example and this is how we use it. Um, but then, uh, similar situation uh, when you're dealing with let's pick any vertical market, and you're able to sit down and say, Well, let me show you how another mortgage lender leveraged direct mail, uh, social media tied to direct mail, uh, and retargeting as part of the direct mail program to drive new loan acquisition. I mean, that's really easy conversation to have, but you know, again. You know, before we start to really introduce them to the tactics, we really need to educate them on first how marketing's changed, how dramatically it's changed, and how a couple of suggestions we're going to make for uh, new program approaches—you uh, know, how they're going to lead to improved results. We first have to set the baseline of educating them on how marketing's changed. And Kim and Dave, all of us have talked about some of those things today. Um, but again, similar situation. Show them a couple of these use cases where it's worked well in their arena.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really important to, to showcase their vertical market and, and what's worked well, and how things have changed. Because most times, you know, they they can't see they can't see that big picture. Um, so if you can show them and show them other other companies that have been successful, it, it helps them to see that vision.
1: Yeah, that's pretty common, right? I mean, again, it's like, how does a pearl work in fill in the blank industry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we get that question a lot and that's why we invest in a lot of resources and eBooks and case studies and things mm-hmm. like this podcast to help people understand how to apply it. And it's, I guess it's difficult, right? It's difficult for people to picture how this could work for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's a good point.
2: Tie it back to the results also. Remember the example I gave earlier when we were talking about why pearls? You know, Well, I can do this direct mail program for you as I always have, or I can add some value and what's the key word? Deliver improved results for you. When you start to have conversations about the results, results matter, and how you're going to tie the approach you're uh, presenting to them to their most important results. For most customers, that's new customer acquisition, revenue growth. Uh, they start to listen pretty intently. And then the easiest way to get started is say, and I recommend we start with a small pilot so we can show you firsthand how well it works, and then you be the judge.
0: maybe now we can segue to start, you know, diving into the actual sales process. So Kim talked a little bit about how she got her team excited about, you know, actually going out and selling them. Um, And we all just talked about ways that you can show people the value of them. And now once you have that appointment and now once you've spoken to them and they're like, okay, yeah, we want to try that. The next thing is to actually run a campaign for them. And so how do you typically go around pricing these campaign Joes? I campaigns, Joe, I know that you work with a lot of customers on, you know, coaching them on pricing. So how is it different from, let's say, a a print job?
2: Well, to begin with, most uh, printers, and again, we've got a world-class one on the call with us, Kim, so I'll defer on that part. But a lot of them do a line item proposal that says, you know, we're going to do this many mailers and a line item, everything. And both Kim and I use the same approach for pricing programs with the end user and you're giving them one one total cost of investment. So if I'm running that pilot and it happens to have 25,000 direct let's say 25,000 contacts, you know, my proposal is going to outline all the heavy lifting, the strategy that triggers the development, everything that we're delivering to them and it's going to have one single investment, you know, $25,000 investment, let's say, and it's going to have a monthly component that they're going to pay to have the ongoing nurturing emails, reporting and follow-up. So it's a much different approach. Um And how you present it, and uh so that would be my quick answer, and I know Kim's got some great thoughts on that too,
3: yeah, I mean absolutely i I think one of the things that I find a lot, and this is primarily with print service providers is they get afraid, i think of that big number um you know, I hear a lot of a lot of companies say, I couldn't possibly you know say it's gonna cost us fifty thousand dollars for this campaign, that's mm. you know like. a piece or whatever, whatever the case may be. But what they're forgetting is when you're talking to those senior level marketers, I mean, you're, they're paying for strategy. They're, they're paying for your expertise. They're paying for the technology. They're paying for much more than just the print piece. Um, And so you have to, you have to sort of have the mindset of I'm an agency who has a lot of intellect that I'm offering these companies. And so, yes, print is a component. Um, but there's so many other pieces to it. And, you know, I, in, in the very early days, my very first proposal, I still have it. I outlined everything line by line and I, they bought it. Um, but what a nightmare. And so from that point forward, I said, never again. So it's, you know, I look at what I'm doing, it's a monthly, it's a, it's a monthly retainer, basically. Um, and I outline what they get for that, you know, so all of the, all of the creative and the content development and the strategy and the programming and everything like that and the production. But I, to, to line item everything, I think you're just setting yourself up for failure a little bit.
0: You know, when you're in that original meeting, are there any specific questions that you ask them to start to uncover what their needs are? You know, are they going to need creative or, argue, you know, that what's the depth at which you're going to have to provide services for them? Or I guess that you get to provide services for them if you win the account. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think so my process.
3: Um, is I do fact finding meetings. So I'll do the initial call. I'll do a, a very brief needs analysis to make sure that it's a good fit. And when I go into that, that initial meeting, which is usually about an hour, I have a series of questions I ask to number one, start to uncover what their pain points are. Um, you know, what's working, what's not working, what their goals are. And usually within that meeting, we start to uncover you know, okay, our, our staff just got reduced, so instead of three designers, we have one, and instead of a team of five marketing people, we have two. So I, I, I'm able to sort of pick up on where there are gaps, and a lot of times I, I go in and say, in order for these campaigns to be as successful as possible, there's a lot that I have to drive. Um, So I know, based on my experience, what works with your industry, what works for your direct mail, what works for your email, what works on the social side, Um, and there are times I have to work with internal designers or internal strategists, but for the most part, when I sell these campaigns, I want the whole thing um, so that I can really drive strategy, and the reason I do that is because if the campaign doesn't work and I'm not driving strategy, I don't want to be grouped into well, it's the technology piece that didn't work because mm. you know if it's a bad offer, if it's bad creative, um, that's going to drive a lot of the results. So I do I, I do a lot of digging to figure out kind of where they're at and where their gaps are. But even if they're fully staffed, um, I would say and enjoy. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, but I would say 80% of the customers I work with, even fully staffed, turn over the creative and content to us just based on our expertise.
2: Yeah all the marketers out there my favorite saying is they're all resource challenged. I've got one customer that works with a very large casino they have a hundred marketing staff but their most important programs they outsource to your very point Kim to one of our partners that does an exceptional job with the creativity, the strategy, the content and all the moving parts and so they don't want to roll the dice in the casino they give that to them so Absolutely, are um, resource challenge. They're looking for help. They're looking for experts to come in the door and augment. And that's what some sometimes the strategy is. I'm going to augment what you do well, but for these pieces, we're going to take control of everything. And uh, each customer is unique, though, based on the size and scope of their their objectives.
1: Yeah, two points on that that I would that I would um, add there. So, so first of all, one thing that you said, Cam, about the printers historically, or the print service providers not knowing. um how to present the value of what they're doing here? I mean, we've seen that a lot, and I'm thinking of a very good friend uh, who's in the industry, who is working with some very large customers right now, who uh, you know has told me, and this is an owner of a print company, that uh, shoot, you know, we left a lot of money on the table because I did not understand what I was actually selling and the value that we were providing, and I know that that's caused a lot of pain and discomfort for this particular customer because. You know, if you don't understand what you're selling and all of the complexities that are sometimes involved, that can cause a lot of um, misunderstandings and expectations that aren't met on both sides. So I think for anybody who's who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the shoes of the service provider, um, you know, you have to understand that the value that you're providing here goes beyond just providing a commodity um, or, or something like print, right, that has a very uh, tangible output that's one and done, so to speak, This, what you're providing often has tentacles into the customer's organization that goes into their CRM system, sometimes into their ERP system. Um, sometimes into a variety of different areas within the organization. And there's a lot of value that you can provide there that can really fortify the relationship that you have with the customer. Don't undersell that. Um, And then to your point, Joe, about uh, organizations being resource challenged, I mean, we see that every day, right? Mm -hmm. From companies that are a few million in size to... Uh, multi-hundred million dollar companies to multi-billion dollar companies that um, need these services, need people that are um, trained in these specific areas to deploy these types of campaigns for them. So there's just, there's opportunity everywhere. Um, There's a shortage of Uh, Talent and people who can do these kinds of campaigns um, successfully, but there's also no shortage of people who can help, right? There's plenty of people out there who can provide these types of services.
0: Yeah, or even tools that can help you, you know, online. We just did an episode a few episodes ago about different tools that you can start to use if you don't have a creative person on staff, if you need some help with grammar, if you need to, you know, create some integration, you know, there's there's so many tools that are out there to help supercharge you, as Mm -hmm. we say, you know, so not only are there, um, you know, human resources, but then there's also technical resources That's that can, true. that can help you with that too. So, you know, I think this wraps up the most common questions that we we've had, but thank you so much, uh, Joe and Kim for spending your time and sharing your insight. And if you don't mind, um, I'd love to share your contact information so that our listeners, um, can, you know, follow up with you if they do have questions, what's the best way to get, get hold of you. Maybe Joe start first and then Kim.
2: Uh, yeah, call me on the mobile phone anytime you want nine one six two eight four eight one one two. Happy to help you any way we can. <laughs>
0: awesome.
3: <laughs> and you, Kim? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can feel free to email me k.growth at peaceatterglobal dot com, or you can call our our number is six ten two six four eight six two four.
0: And of course, we'll put all this in the blog so you can find out uh, some more information on mindfirestudio.com forward slash blog. We'll link up some resources. We'll get their contact information there. And then of course, you can go ahead and check all the last episodes where you can get the information that we gave you a little teaser about um, in this episode. So thank you so much for joining us, Dave. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, uh, Kim and Joe. And Everyone who's listening, if we uh, didn't answer your question or if you have more that you want to know about each of these things that we touched upon, go to that blog, the blog location that McKenzie uh, just gave you and write your questions, leave your comments there because we definitely want to answer those for you.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Pixels and Ink podcast with McKenzie Farsheet and Dave Rosendahl. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit mindfirestudio.com slash blog. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, keep testing your marketing to find out what works for you and your business and get ready for your leads and revenue to grow. We'll see you in the next episode.